Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah, and as always, thanks for listening. On today's show, we're going to start a little bit different with our uh, segment here today, and it's going to be a new segment, um, even though I like to continue on with From the Jukebox. Um, I am limited on resources right now, so please bear with me. So... <clears throat> On today, we have Stranger Than Fiction. This is weird news from around the world or the United States or just stuff I found on the internet, bottom line. So, first off, we have that The Guardian, which is an online news source, is reporting that a three-year-old little girl at a festival in Taiwan was lifted high into the air when she became entangled in the tail of a giant kite. The girl was unharmed and safely brought to the ground. If you guys want to go on YouTube and probably pull that out, uh, probably pull that video up, I guarantee you most likely uh, likely will. I actually saw the video today, and uh, when it comes to kids, that's rather spooky. Speaking of spooky, since it is the almost Halloween season, Brock's, the candy company, has announced that they have a new candy corn flavor being released entitled turkey dinner that's right folks candy corn company brock's has now a new flavor turkey dinner uh and flavors include green beans ginger glazed carrots roasted turkey of course sweet potatoes and no turkey dinner is complete without stuffing oh also they have uh, uh cranberry sauce so venture if you dare uh, so there you go. That so you know those who Thanksgiving without the in-laws. You're welcome. And also, for those who like to take road trips, the app here here uh, will. It's a GPS app apparently that will. Uh, it it actually includes Kevin Costner's voice. So it will he will actually tell you history stories as you travel so as you're traveling along and the different destinations you come across kevin costner's voice will come across your gps and will tell you history lessons all right and last in stranger than fiction news uh for those stephen king fans such as myself the teaser trailer or the first teaser trailer for the stand has come available and uh it will be streamed on cbs all access on december 17th hopefully of this year the uh the series will include actors james marsden Whoopi goldberg and alexander skarsgård so fans of stephen king be sure to check that out so moving on on with the show on today's show we'll be moving ever further southbound on to edisto island and discover what secrets the island has buried. And now, it's time to pull up a chair, settle in, and cozy up for the Southern Spectre Podcast. Now, leaving Charleston and once again heading south, We'll make our way once again down the coastal highway, Highway 17. We make our way through small towns and communities along the way, including Ravenel, Jericho, Adams Run, and then through the Ace Basin, 
and onto Edisto Island. Now, Edisto Island is part of what is known as the Ashapu, Cumbahee, and Edisto Basin, or Ace Basin for short, which is one of the largest undeveloped estuaries along the Atlantic coast of the U.S. The Ashapu, Cumbahee, and South Edisto Rivers combine into the St. Helena Sound and drains a large portion of the Lowcountry region. The area is approximately 350,000 acres and is made up of a preservation of marshes, wetlands, hardwood forests, and riverine systems. Now once you pass through the community of Adams Run, you'll make your way toward Edisto Island itself and be privy to so much visual wonder. You'll soon leave the real world behind as you come to the Dahu Bridge that connects Edisto Island to the mainland. As you journey down the highway, taking in all the splendor the island has to offer, you'll careen around every curve, looking for the next splendor to behold. Pluff mud soon overloads the olfactory nerves. The views from the Dahu Bridge stretching out far beyond what the eye can see, sending the rods and cones of your eyes into shock and bewilderment. You'll soon come to the Geechee Boy Market Mill that was founded by Raymond L. Tumbleston, where he farmed the rich soil of Edisto by growing, packing, and shipping all sorts of vegetables and grains for over 40 years. In 2007, the Johnsmans began milling grits to help supplement income and now use an antique meal for education and a glimpse to the past. Their grits are used in some of the country's award-winning restaurants and by James Beard award-winning chefs in Charleston and across the country. Stop in, get you some Geechee Boy speckled grits, you'll thank me later. Soon, you'll come to Flower Seafood Market, where you can send your taste buds into a tizzy by way of any of their cooked on-site seafood specialties. Tip, they're only open on select days, so be sure to know before you go. A couple of miles on up, you'll come to King's Farm Market, where you can grab homegrown canned veggies, fruits, jams, jellies, seasonings, dinners, even some boiled peanuts, and my personal favorite, key lime pie. No summer trip to the beach is complete without a good old watermelon, so grab yours here. Now just a few more miles down the road, you'll finally come to where our story takes place at the Presbyterian Church on Edisto. It's not the church you'll be heading for, but the cemetery round back, and you'll be searching for one mausoleum in particular, and it shouldn't be hard to spot, because there's no door on this one. This is the story of Julia Laguerre. Edisto Island has been inhabited since as far back as 2000 BC. Like most people of their time, these people utilized the water and land to sustain life. Proof of their inhabitants can be found in the famous Shell Midden, located at what is now Edisto Beach State Park. Now, if you're wondering what a shell midden is, basically it's a giant pile of shells, food, fossils, bones, or any other tools that maybe these people had used over the time. Sometime during the 1500s, the Edisto Indians, that's Edisto, E-D-I-S-T-O-W. Now, these Indians inhabited the area Unlike the ones before them, they lived off the land and water. They were hunter-gatherers, growing their own food, gathering seafood, and hunting wild game. Later during the 1600s, 
English lord proprietors who ruled over much of South Carolina already purchased the land from the Edisto Indians. They too would cultivate the land for harvest, especially rice, which drew in a large profit. Soon Europeans would come to make Edisto their homes as well. Among the many newfound inhabitants of the area, William and Mary Seabrook had made their way to Edisto. The couple made Edisto their home and of course built a house for themselves. The William Seabrook house was raised and is a marvel even still today. Graffiti by Union soldiers can be found scrawled across walls and throughout the house. William and Mary made their wealth through cotton planting and being part owners of the Edisto Island Ferry, which shuttled passengers from Edisto to Yonge's Island. They helped influence the name of what is now Steamboat Landing on Steamboat Creek. Now, of course, they started their family here on Edisto and soon had five children, two boys and three girls, William, Mary, Robert Chisholm, Carolina Lafayette, and Juliana Georgiana. William and Mary, the first and second children, were named after their mother and father. Carolina was named by General Lafayette, who was a guest in Seabrook Plantation in 1825, and William Seabrook gave the general the honor of naming his second daughter. The general named the child after her birthplace, Carolina, and Lafayette after his own name. Now the youngest of the children, Julia Seabrook, would soon meet her husband, John Berwick Laguerre. The pair met and fell in love, and at the tender age of 18, Julia married John. The couple bare a son born to them in 1847. Sometime during the 1800s, during a visit to Edisto to visit her family, Julia Laguerre became extremely sick and slipped into a comatose state. Some folks speculate it was diphtheria that had gotten a hold of poor Julia. Day in and day out, her family waited bedside for their daughter to emerge from the coma and to reunite with them once again. Soon, their family doctor had declared young Julia Laguerre dead. Now, of course, embalming had not become a practice in the U.S. as of yet, so when a person passed, it was common to bury the dead as soon as possible to prevent decay above ground. So once she was declared dead, a funeral was performed and all her loved ones said their goodbyes. Julia Laguerre was prepared and buried the same day of her passing. Now after the funeral, Julia's body was taken from the church straight to the family's mausoleum. She was placed inside and the extremely heavy marble slab of a door was shut and secured. Let's jump ahead about 15 years to the time of another death that occurred in the Laguerre family. And once again, the Laguerre family mausoleum was open to bury another loved one lost. When the marble door was open, the family found a horrifying discovery. What was left of young Julia Laguerre was found just inside the door, and the family soon realized their grave error. Julia Laguerre had been buried alive. Upon further inspection, it was discovered scratches and clawing on the inside of the door of where Julia had tried to make her escape. It is believed that diphtheria or some other related illness had dropped poor Julia's vital signs so low that they could not be detected by the family doctor, and she was pronounced deceased. I can only imagine the horror on Julia's face when she awoke inside her family's tomb, surrounded by rotting family members. So after being presumed dead and being buried alive, 
She could do nothing but wait for death to come and free her from this nightmare. Now her remains were buried once more, and once more the door to the tomb was shut and secured. Shortly thereafter, it was discovered by family members the door to the tomb had somehow been opened. Suspecting grave robbers or vandals, they shut the door at once, ensuring its security and let it be. Sometime later, a member of the church noticed the door was open yet again, and the mausoleum was shut and sealed again. This phenomenon occurred several times over the years. Soon, chains and locks would be put in place to hold it shut, but no matter what was tried, the door would always be found open. Then, putting a door in place that could only be removed by heavy equipment, the next time the tomb was inspected, the door was found completely off its hinges and lying on the ground. After this final failed attempt, people just quit trying. Upon visiting today, you'll find the original door to the tomb lying in the grass, broken and useless. It seems Julia Laguerre does not want the tomb closed again, and honestly, who can blame her? Legend says that Julia's spirit can finally rest easy now with the door removed. Some visitors to the site say they experience a claustrophobic sensation that comes over them, even though they themselves are not claustrophobic. Some have captured pictures on camera that cannot be dismissed, and it seems Julia is fine with people coming to pay a visit. Just whatever you do, don't you dare shut the door. So if you decide to get the notion to take in Julia Laguerre's final resting place at the Presbyterian Church on Edisto Island, please be careful and be sure to show respect to those of this world and the next. Thank you. Continuing back down the road toward our exit of the island, we'll make our way back across the Dawu Bridge and say goodbye to Edisto for now. It's always a somber mood I find myself in when I leave Edisto. So back to Highway 17 and headed southbound again. A few miles down, you'll reach Jacksonboro. A warning if you're low on fuel, need a potty break, or a snack, now's the time for that, as there's not many pit stops between here and Beaufort which is about 45 minute ride. So as we're cruising, just take in the views of the area and enjoy. Hopefully you grabbed a bag of boiled peanuts from King's Market for the trip. Tune in to a coastal radio station, crank up the beach music and let the windows down and enjoy. We'll soon come to Highway 21, just off of Highway 17. And then we'll take 21 straight on into Beaufort. We'll pass places like the Beaufort National Cemetery and Pigeon Point. Barnwell Bluff, and of course we'll come to the Old Point, which is where our next story takes place, at 411 Craven Street to be exact. Now Jean Rabout, the famous French explorer, came to the area, and it's said that he brought with him a jester, a dwarf named Gauche. No evidence exists of Gauche ever sailing with Rebout, however, the dwarf's death is a mystery. 
Nonetheless, it seems Gausch has taken a liking to the castle at 411 Craven Street here in Beaufort, as he's been seen walking around the grounds. Some even claim they've spotted him during a tour of the home. Sometime during the 1850s, Dr. Joseph Johnson built his downtown Beaufort home using bricks from his former Ladies Island Plantation. The home is in the Italian Renaissance style and located right on the water. In 1861, before the house was complete, it was used as a temporary hospital for federal troops. The outside building was said to be used for a morgue and the grounds surrounding the home have been said to house the bodies of many a soldier as they needed a place to go once leaving the morgue. It wasn't until the home was completed that Guess and Dr. Johnson started noticing strange goings-on in and around the home. Dr. Johnson's daughter, Lily Danner, lays claim to the fact she has indeed seen Gausch's ghost several times as a child. She claims he would make himself present while she played tea parties with her dolls in the home's basement. He would, of course, be dressed in his jester's attire. According to Lily, the ghost would tap out messages in code and they would be in French and quote, always swears and uses words the same way. He has no opinion of anyone. He called one of the family members a hellion one night, end quote. After that incident, she quit listening in. Guess would report he was more of an unseen spirit, always moving furniture about, opening closing doors, and always to the sound of bells possibly coming from his jester's hat? Legend also says that the ghost of Gauche leaves red handprints on the windows. It has also been reported by guests of the home that a strange mist or fog can be seen rising from the creek near the home right after a cold breeze would blow. The breeze would slowly creep to the home, take a near human figure, and vanish. The Danners could not understand the messages that Gauch would be sending them, and so they found someone who could translate. And according to one transcript, a conversation went as follows. Gauch. This is Gauch. Guest. What are you doing here? Gauch. I live here, in the cellar. Guest. Why? Gauch. It reminds me of my English home that I will never enter again. Guest. Will you let me see you? Gauch. No, I do not show myself to fools. The home remained with the Johnson lineage until 1981. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in once again for the Southern Spectre podcast. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to follow the Southern Spectre on social media, you can find me on Facebook at the Southern Spectre Podcast. If you check out the About section on Facebook, you can find our other social medias there. Until we meet again. Don't let the boo get you. Thanks everybody once more for tuning in for the Southern Spectre Podcast. All music for this episode was recorded and composed by Mayu. That's Mayu. M-Y-U-U. Find him on YouTube or check him out on SoundCloud. Thank you to all who listen, and I hope to see you next time.